Welcome to the Traveling Teacher coming to you from Poland. This was recorded in a public space, so there may be some background noise, but that does not take away from the exceptional wisdom of our teacher today. We're going to jump right in because this is quite a long episode. Enjoy. Welcome back, friends. I have a special guest with me today from the Polish education system. Would you mind introducing yourself? Um, hello, everybody. My name is Ewelina Śmiałek. I'm an English teacher in Poland. Uh, I've been a teacher for the last 17 years. Wow. I have taught in junior high, in primary school, and for the last uh, 11, 12 years, I've been teaching in one of the best uh, schools in Poland. It's a secondary school, and I am an English teacher. All right. Uh, 17 years. First off, give you a round of applause for well, that. We need more uh, <laughs> Actually, I started as a student, so yeah. uh, because um, I don't know why, but I have always wanted to be a teacher. I have always wanted to, to use English mm-hmm. and to work with people. And I think teaching is the best um, opportunity, the best option for me. Oh, I love that. I think we need more sort of like self-impassioned teachers. So thank you for you know, sharing that, that like love for teaching. We need... We need that commitment because uh, you know our future really depends on it. It does. It really does. You mentioned that you work for now one of the best uh, schools in Poland, and my mind, right in the states, like, oh, so you work for a private school? Is that? No, I'm not. Actually, in Poland, um, the best schools are uh, public schools. Of course, uh, the private se- sector has been growing since the transformation. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, as far as I know, uh, the best schools are still in the public sector. That's wonderful to hear. In, yeah, and do you mind giving us a little overview of like what the Polish education system is like? All right, uh, so let's start from the very beginning, and by beginning I mean the communist era. That's helpful, yeah, that's good. <laughs> so, I like the historical approach. So, so the first, um, um, I was actually part of it because um, the communism ended in 1989 mm-hmm. when I was in primary school. So I am one of those people who finished eighth grade uh, school primary school, and then I went to four-year secondary school. However, uh, I think it was during the government of uh, Jerzy Buzek uh, that the educational reform was introduced. So at one point, politicians decided that it would be better uh, for students to go for six years to the primary school, and then um, for three years they would attend uh, junior high school, mm-hmm. and then for another three years they would uh, uh, attend secondary school, which could be either com- uh, comprehensive school or vocational school. Okay. Uh, so this reform was introduced in 1991, and uh, 1999, I'm sorry, and then um, this system lasted till uh, the 1st of, the, of September 19, uh, 2019, when the Law and Justice Party came into power and they started to reintroduce the system, the educational system we had during the communist era. So uh, now, uh, since uh, the 1st of December, um, 2019, we, uh, 2017, sorry, we uh, have had uh, again eight, eight grade primary schools. And um, this year, um, actually this September, uh, this is the first year when we have four year secondary school. However, 
because this um, uh, because of this introduction of the new system and um, we have like double uh, number of children in secondary schools so now we've got um, it is a little bit chaotic so the people who finished junior high yeah. which ended in June 2019 meet in the same uh, buildings the same secondary school buildings with those people who have finished eight grade school, primary school. So we've got, uh, instead of having 10 classes, we've got 15 classes now. And we, secondary teachers, this year are working with two different curriculum because one curricula is for students who have, uh, who finished three year junior high so this is one school, one secondary school um, curriculum. Yes. And the other curriculum is for those people who finished eighth grade uh, primary school and they are going to attend the school for the four years. So uh, you have, on one day, you have classes with those, <laughs> with yeah. one curriculum and with those with, with another one. It is difficult because those curricula are a little bit different. Yeah. I think I'm lucky because um, the curriculum of the English language hasn't changed much, but the greatest problems um, have got teachers who teach Polish, mm-hmm. history, mathematics, I think geography and chemistry as well. So, because they, they teach totally different things in totally different schools, although they, they, they teach in the same building, yeah. And they teach in the same school, which is called secondary school. They, they, they work, sort of work in two different schools with two different curricula. That sounds like a headache. I'm sorry. How do you, well, I mean, with the influx of now double the amount of students, how do you organize that? In the, like, do certain students don't come on certain days? Or? No, no, no. It's impossible. Actually, uh, I think we are lucky because our building is a big one. Okay. So our students are able to be fit into the building and uh, they start classes at 7.25 and they finish either at 3 o'clock or at 4. So that's not bad. But I have heard about some schools in Poland where students just uh, sort of uh, attend classes in shifts. So there is this morning shift so which, which starts at 7 and it lasts till two o'clock and there is another shift of students coming to school uh, let's say at two and finishing classes at seven Mm -hmm. so that's the problem and especially those uh, schools who uh, that don't have big buildings have to somehow fit the students into the uh, into the buildings which is just I would say it is really difficult for especially for the headmaster who has to take care of all the students and the problem is, uh, I don't know if you know about it, but uh, this year in April, all, uh, well, most, I would say, um, most teachers in Poland went on strike. Oh, yes, I heard about this. Time, uh, yeah. Right, so uh, the problem was that we went on strike because we had had enough mm-hmm. um, because of the, of the reform that was introduced against our wills. Yes. And the problem was uh, that we are uh, underpaid. 
So, for example, a teacher with uh, so much experience as I have... You have a master's degree? And, uh, yes, yeah. I've got a master's degree. I also have, in, in Poland, when you, want to, when you are a teacher, there are certain steps of the ladder. So you can be promoted. So, so let's uh, say you are first a teacher trainee, although uh -huh. you've got all the qualifications. And, and, um, but it is called, let's say it, it's called um, teacher trainee, mm -hmm. and you have to do certain things to prove that you are a good teacher. Okay. Uh, so you do it for a year. Then you've got two years uh, of a gap, and you are the so-called contract teacher. Okay. And if you want to be promoted, uh, you uh, have to um, try to um, work on a plan, and then you sort of uh, again you become again a sort of apprentice, mm -hmm. and you do this project for almost three years. Then you write a report and you have to pass an exam in front of uh, your head, mark, head teacher and in front of uh, people from the town who run school. And then you, you take two, year, two years off mm -hmm. because um, that's how it works. And then you can be the so-called, I would say, uh, I don't know how, how I, I should call it, but let's say uh, the teacher with a diploma, let's call it, this is the, the highest. Um, rank in yeah. this ladder and you do this project for again three years and you have to prove uh, how, how wonderful teacher you are you have to get involved in different projects etc and etc and you and then you uh, um, sort of write a thesis sort of okay. thesis it's it's your book um, it's a booklet that has to have at least 40 pages and you have to prove every single activity that you have done and then you uh, have the exam in front of the educational body people from the town your head teacher and if you get enough points you get you become this uh, teacher with diploma and uh, that's how it works so let's say such a, such a teacher yeah. who uh, who who has got the experience like me earns about eight hundred dollars per per month. It's not enough. It's not. No, I'm so close. so lots of teachers Thanks. have decided to go on strike because they they thought that you know um, we 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 are underpaid. Yeah. Uh, why don't you pay us more? So, uh, but the problem was that the government uh, didn't listen to us at all. They kept ignoring us. They kept, um, I would say, tarnishing our opinion. I think that would be a, a good expression because uh, when you put on national TV, we could hear that uh, teachers are those people who haven't achieved anything, those underachievers who couldn't find uh, any work anywhere else, so they ended up in school. And now uh, they are doing these lousy jobs mm. of uh, teaching our children. And, um, well, that's, that's the way it worked. I mean, it looked like this. It was the hatred campaign against teachers. And although the, the, the strike lasted over a month, wow. we didn't achieve anything. Uh, the problem was that um, in the middle of... Um, I think it was in the middle of April, mm -hmm. there were the exams and most teachers refused to supervise the exams. So what did the government do? 
you would never have guessed. Well, they said that, you know, um, uh, teachers are not important. We will send uh, different invigilators. So they started asking firefighters. They started asking uh, retired teachers to come. They started uh, uh, asking kindergarten teachers to come and they supervised uh, the exams and they were paid extra. When we invigilate the exams, we are not paid extra, but those people who were asked to come got a lot of money, which was really... <laughs> Strike crossers, yeah. Yes. That's we, we were furious. Yeah. And then uh, the, the government seemed to ignore the situation that I think 5 million, over 5 million children in Poland were deprived of education. Because for them, you know, their, their basic light, uh, right to education wasn't important. What was important was the supervision of the exams. This is so infuriating. I, I think, especially from an outside perspective, you know, a lot of people, education reformers, were really looking at Poland and how much, you know, the growing of your education system after the reforms. And so, you know, I, I'm curious about your perspective on, like, why this is being implemented now because it seems very much backwards to the... I, I, I don't really know. I'm not into conspiracy theories, but you know, uh, but I start, I have started thinking that the less educated people are, the less they know, the easier it is to manipulate them. And you can just sell anything to them because simply they lack the reasoning. They don't think uh, uh, in a critical way. That's the problem. So uh, it is uh, in the sheer interest of the people in power to keep people uneducated. And the problem is that those people who have money, those parents who have money, pay through their noses to, to pay for extra classes for those children um, who don't have enough classes yeah. in their schools. So that's the problem. So when you have money, okay, uh, you will find a tutor, you will find a private tutor, but when you don't have money, you will sort of perpetuate your life in poverty. Because, well, simply because you, you don't have means to, to pay for their children's education. Exactly, so it's just a recurring cycle. Exactly. Chaps people. So this is the vicious circle no one can break. When we had junior high schools, well, of course, at, at, at the beginning, there were lots of problems. One of the main um, arguments against them was the fact that there was a lot of violence. But it stopped after two, three years, and actually they were really egalitarian. How did that happen? What was that? Uh, because the, the, the teachers worked very hard, and the best teachers went to junior high uh, schools to mm. work, and they were especially selected right, to work there because they knew that the students at certain age, teenagers, yes. needed attention. So that's the thing. Yeah. yeah. So attention, uh, they, 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 lots of them did stupid things, not because they... they um, Bad uh, or anything. Exactly. It was some kind of desperate um, call for help, I would call yeah. it like this. I'm, I've taught middle school for my entire career, that teenage years. And they're going through so much. It's the second largest growth in, of their mind and their bodies and everything. And so it's, it's a hard time. It definitely you know? is. And so it's so crucial that, and I'm happy to hear that, like, you know, you really invested in that, like, putting those best teachers yeah, in those But the schools. problem is, yeah. uh, after this reintroduction of the uh, 
of the, the eighth grade, yeah. um, uh, eighth class uh, primary schools, most teachers were so furious uh, that they started looking for other jobs. Uh. So now there is a lack of teacher in Poland uh, because of that. Uh, because uh, when you go to the supermarket, uh, and uh, even though you are a teacher and you are an, inexperi an inexperienced employee, you earn uh, twice as much as a teacher who starts teaching. And you don't need any degree to do that. That's the thing. So, so why why should you bother? I mean, you of course you work physically. I mean, you 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 don't use your brain so much, yeah. but still you don't bring a lot of work home. Mm -hmm. You don't have to worry that uh, an angry parent will come and will start shouting at you, and you you are not as emotionally involved as you are when you work as a teacher. Yes. That's the problem, and that's why lots of teachers started leaving the jobs. So there's this great exodus, and the problem is that most teachers, most students at universities don't want to become teachers, especially when they study maths, IT, because they know uh, that when they, work, they, when they decide to work as a teacher, they will get like, let me think, uh, $500, I think, per month. And when they, when they work as, a, as an IT engineer uh, at a corporation, they will get at least 2000 right? Right. And that's, I mean, we see that problem, you know, all across the states and elsewhere where, you know, these really bright, educated, passionate people are choosing, you know, they, they may be passionate about teaching, but if they can have a higher quality of life doing another job, then they will leave that. And also, I think it's like, you know, there's definitely been campaigns and a shift in how we appreciate teachers and how we like see them. And that, you know, I think terrible, terrible quote that, you know, you mentioned kind of earlier that those who who can't teach, right? And it's that's such a terrible narrative and I'm sorry that that's something that you're going through right now. Is there a counter movement happening that's like of of teachers uh, or political party that's trying to uh, push back against this? Well, the, pro the problem is, um, so do you mean that are we trying to push back the reform? Yeah. Well, the problem is the costs, mm -hmm. because uh, the money has been spent and the local governments have paid for the reform, which was supposed to uh, be cheap, which, which was supposed to not to cost a penny. Mm -hmm. But the problem is uh, the, the, the local government did pay and they did pay dearly. <laughs> and the problem is uh, that they don't have any more money to pay because the government um, have reduced, um, I would say, the amounts of money they, they are supposed to be paying for the education. So the, the whole uh, burden of covering the cost is on the local government's shoulders. And uh, another story is that they, they, the local government don't have much money, so they, they have to resign from something. And suddenly teachers have become the public enemy because uh, we demanded uh, pay rise. The government didn't give, uh, give, the, give us the money. It is the local governments that uh, have given us the money. And now they have to get rid of, uh, I don't know, they have to resign from building new bridges, investing into something else, into parks, etc., because they have to pay for our pay rise. Yeah. That's it. It's a hard, yeah. 
I could talk about this for for days. I really appreciate your passion, but I think it's also really important is like actually hearing about like you, what you do in the classroom because I think like 17 years, you're a wealth of knowledge, and so I'd love uh, for you to share about well, actually, what you teach. Uh, I think I am lucky because I am a learner myself. So yeah. uh, I think when you are a teacher, you can never stop uh, learning because you have to learn all the mm -hmm. time. Of course, I, I keep reading, I uh, keep attending webinars, I keep attending workshops, I t uh, keep going to different conferences. So whenever, wherever and whenever I go anywhere, I just uh, want to learn something new. Of course, there are some workshops that I consider a total waste of time. Uh, I, I'm just, uh, I, I just can't stop thinking, okay, what am I doing here? I've already noticed. Yes, yeah, of course. But sometimes, when you, when you, even when you attend a workshop, and I'm a kind of person who likes using knowledge in a practical way. Mm -hmm. When I teach my students, um, there are certain rules. I mean, I set the boundaries, but I try to put them at ease because I know that for some of them, it is very difficult to um, speak in a foreign language. And especially when I work with those who are, let's say, at elementary level, and I know how hard it is for them to speak Right, uh, because they they can be really shy and they can be so. I would say I would even uh, say scared of making mistakes. Mm -hmm. So I try to put them at ease and say, you know, don't worry about mistakes. Let's uh, pass the message, okay? And then uh, so uh, as I was saying, I like practical way of. Um, uh, using my knowledge. So uh, two days ago, I listened to a webinar on which there were like 17 or even 20 different ways of uh, teaching pronunciation presented. And I found just one that I had never heard before. What was it? Uh, it was about uh, putting phonemic alphabet, like, you know, I, O, and putting uh, numbers under those phonemes and then giving students um, sort of code, one, two, three, etc. And they were, they were supposed to decipher what word is written. Uh -huh. So that's interesting, and I think I'm going to use it. Yeah, it sounds like really fun, good to engage exactly. them in the activity. Exactly, so, so whenever I attend any classes, any workshops, webinars, I always try to look for something new. So, so I try to, uh, teach students openness. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not very popular. It's uh, critical, critical thinking, and they um, they are always working in pairs and in groups. Yes. And I remember one situation when one of the students was really unwilling to work in pairs, and he said, "This is Śmiałek. Why are we always working in pairs with different people?" And I said, "You know." I'm giving you this advantage because when you are going to work somewhere, I don't know what you're going to do uh, in your future life, but when you are, go you are going to cooperate with different people and you have to find common ground with this person and that person and I'm giving you this opportunity to practice this skill. And he said, okay, now I understand it. And he started working and he didn't complain at all. That's so wonderful. And to get into that why, right? Why am I here? I think especially like the students that I teach, right? They're starting to really like be pushed back 
and to think about like, well, why am I even here? What am I doing? When you can really give them that core understanding, I think that's such a empowering way to, to teach. It definitely is. I mean, they. Uh, I think we. I am very lucky because I teach English. I think mm-hmm. German teachers have got it much more difficult because most students don't like German, mm-hmm. whereas English is. Uh, uh, ubiquitous, so you cannot uh, not know English. I would say. <laughs> so if you uh, so so they play, they use uh, they play games, they use internet, they watch Netflix, they mm-hmm. they they um, read in English. So English is everywhere. So I am lucky. Sometimes uh, my students. Um, teach me new words because it's impossible to know, know them all and I and I say okay thank you very much and I praise them and I give them extra pluses for that <laughs> thank you for teaching me so so you know um, yeah I, I think that when you when they see that you are eager to walk an extra mile for them they yes. are more even more motivated so it's all about those relationships that you have with the students and, yeah and that opens that kind of conversation what you said about openness right exactly so i think that relationship is the key thing when teaching because when you teach it is the relationship that it is the most important thing I, um, I I would say that for the last six, seven, maybe eight years, my students have achieved uh, great results in maturity exams. Not because I am such a fantastic teacher, but because Which you are though as well. Be, because they they I have managed to persuade them that I do believe that when they work hard. They, w- they are able to achieve anything, yeah. and they do. You have to show them that you really believe in them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course you have to work hard, and they sometimes keep complaining that, okay, we, we are having the test again. But when, you, uh, but when I teach them, it's not only about teaching drama, vocabulary. I also give them the so-called skills tests. So uh, we listen to something and we decide why this particular answer is correct or not. Whenever I do reading comprehension, we also focus on why, why this particular answer is correct. What makes you think that this one is the one that should be the good one? And this is great. I mean, uh, when they start understanding that everything can be explained, uh, that there is a reason behind it, they are capable of doing anything. Absolutely. I love that. Students are capable of absolutely anything. And and it's all about how we support them to get there. Exactly. And I think like what you were talking about, like really breaking down the thought process behind how you get to that solution or to understand that specific situation, I think is, is really important. I'm curious... I think something that's so critical today is, is critical understanding and critical and being critical about things. Uh, so here's how you, do you uh, use that in your classroom? Critical thinking. So when we when we talk about something, so one way is uh, when we have this reading or our uh, listening comprehension, whatever we think about why this particular answer is correct. Mm-hmm. But when we read about something. I often ask them, do you think this is a real piece of news? Do you think this is something that has been made up by uh, the book uh, author? Or do you think that this this particular thing could be correct? 
and uh, maybe let's uh, look uh, online and not only uh, let's uh, look at one page website but maybe let's have a look at more than one uh, resource and let's decide whether it's true or not and um, sometimes I try to pull their legs so I, I sometimes I come up with this stupid idea or may, uh, and try to uh, say it in such a convincing way to make them think that I'm telling the truth yes and <laughs> I, love it. I, uh, I say, um, you know, uh, I've just said something and I, I, I just uh, say, so which do you think, uh, which of the information, pieces of information I've just given you is are true or which are false? And why do you think so? Or maybe it's just a total lie and you shouldn't be trusting me? So I know it's more, more like undermining, uh, but on the other hand, I try to uh, make them look at a thing from different angles. And it's the same when we discuss something. Someone says something, and I say, but, and give the, a counter-argument, right? Yes. And then we start discussing. So, so different facts uh, are put on the table, mm-hmm. And we try to find out who's right, who's not, what sort of uh, data is provided. And let's have uh, a look at uh, different uh, facts. Let's have a look at opinions. So it can be interesting. I really want to be in your class now. This is, uh, sounds Well, great. why don't you come tomorrow? I, okay. I mean, uh, I'm I teaching I'm classes tomorrow, so, so no problem. Okay, that's amazing. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, I love that, that uh, I don't think it was a stupid idea at all. I think it's actually a really great way to engage students. And actually, one of my favorite teachers that I uh, worked with, named Kenny Park, wonderful guy, he does this really funny article about the Peruvian uh, octopuses who, uh, who climb trees. Right? <laughs> it sounds so silly, right? But like, of course, like, they start reading it, and they're like, this is real? What? What's happening? And then, like... But then, of course, it's all about, like, wait a minute, like, let's not take things for, like, just because I gave you this thing and told you this is a real historical fact, right, that this is true. No, like, let's actually break it down and, like, let's notice these different things about, uh, you know, where is this from? Is this a blog? Is this this? Like, really breaking down all those different senses so that they can really think critically because so much information in our day and age, especially our students who are always on their phones and using technology, like, there's so much information out there. And exactly. Being able to break that down and understand it critically is, is so important. Yeah, and you have to make them aware of the fact that they should be using more than one resource because yeah. one yeah. is not enough. Mm-hmm. So uh, the fact that something has been online doesn't yeah. mean that it's true. I mean, some students think, I've Googled it, it must be true. And I, I usually say, really? Do you really believe that it is true because you have Googled it? What's the resource? And there was uh, this uh, information scandal, I think, last year or at the beginning of this year about uh, the game ab- uh, about a blue whale, I think, that was supposed to make uh, teenagers commit suicide, something oh, like this. It was, it was ridiculous. Yeah, really and weird. it was 
it went viral. It was on TV everywhere, and everyone believed it. But it turned out to be fake. Really false, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, I don't really get it. Yeah, I think that's it's... why education is really important. Yeah. And I am lucky because uh, my students are really bright. Yeah. So, so, so it's. I'm not saying it's easier. Sometimes it's more difficult to work with bright uh, students. Of course, it's more demanding, right? Mm -hmm. Because you have to, you cannot say it is because, because it is like this. Right. But you have to give them arguments. You yeah. have to provide, um, I would say, the proof mm -hmm. why it's like. Well, okay. I'm, we'll talk more about your classroom and I hopefully come to see it tomorrow. But also, uh, you were just a part of this really interesting or, uh, event that I'd love for you to share that brought together eight different uh, nations and to do a type right. of speech and debate. Well, um, this, uh, I think, February, I participated in a project which was uh, something like mock uh, international crime court. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not sh really mock sure. Trial, yeah. Uh, yes, so it was connected, it was organized by uh, one of the guys from Germany and uh, the meeting lasted three days and uh, students from eight different nationalities came to Krzyżowa uh, where they um, uh, where they worked on mock trials of uh, war criminals. Uh, there were three mock criminals, one concerned um, uh, the guy from a businessman from Nazi Germany, one was from the uh, Rwanda, I think uh, it was a radio presenter who encouraged people to killing each other, and one was um, the trial of a um, uh, former Yugoslavian soldier who reported uh, the massacre uh, in the Albania. And um, the court consisted of uh, people from uh, different nationalities. So we had judges from uh, Poland, um, uh, I think Great Britain, uh, Germany, uh, former Yugoslavian countries, so Bosnia, Herzegovina, um, uh, um, Serbia, um, from Greece. There was also a, a group of prosecutors, there was also a group of defenders, and there was a group of journalists. So um, they prepared, the, 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 the teenagers um, spent two days uh, preparing for the trial. Before the event itself, they were supposed to uh, do some research of the, on those people mm -hmm. so that they would be better prepared. But in the first day, uh, that was sort of uh, integration games. Yeah. So the teachers and the people uh, who are lawyers in real life, lawyers and judges from different countries, um, trained the, the particular teams. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, uh, this training lasted two days, and on the third day uh, there was the trial. Uh, the, the, actually, on the second day there was one trial, and on the third day there were two trials because uh, they lasted, uh, I think, each, each trial lasted over an hour. So um, it was wonderful to, to sit in the audience in this mock uh, courtroom and uh, to see how people used English to argue over uh, the case, presenting arguments. Mm -hmm. And um, 
there was uh, the response of the defenders and then there was the prosecutors and they argued in such a, I would say, such passionate way. And um, they used really good arguments. Yeah. So you couldn't just... Um, I just sat there, I would say, spellbound. <laughs> and it was fantastic. And then after the trial ended, the jury, uh, uh, the, the judges went uh, to a separate room. They discussed and then they um, announced the verdict. So it was fantastic. I think this is one of the best investments in peace, in world peace ever. And I will um, do anything to support this project. I mean, yeah. my, my friend wow. uh, is in charge of this project in, in my school. So if you, if you like, I could just uh, call her and ask her to, to tell you more about it. I'd love it. to learn. Yeah, and I'm curious, like, that's such a powerful statement, right? How do you really see that being as such a vehicle for that, that peace and connectivity? Well, actually, when they discussed the atrocities that mm. happened to civilians during the war, and, um, well, the problem is that war uh, is declared by politicians, mm -hmm. and they are hidden somewhere there in safe places. They are guarded by uh, soldiers, but, and, and it is the civilians who suffer most. Of course. So once the students understand it, they uh, will think twice, three times, four times before they will support the, the, the war. Yeah. So that's why I think this is uh, the, the excellent investment in the world peace. Uh, besides, uh, people from different nationalities meet. Mm -hmm. So there were some British, uh, Polish, Greek, uh, people from former Yugoslavia, there were even the Lebanese. Mm -hmm. And they all integrated. They, they uh, got on well. There was this uh, evening, I would say culture evening, when people presented cuisine from their uh, countries. Yes. And you know, uh, it's wonderful when you eat different delicious things and you think, okay, maybe I will visit this yeah. country because this is interesting and I met wonderful teachers there so from we, all different countries too. yes yeah. from different countries and it was a great opportunity to us for us to 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 just talk to to talk about different educational systems mm. we we talked about what we um, are afraid of what we don't like in our countries what we are afraid of so uh, we talked about politics we talked about anything yeah and that's actually why I, I'm so lucky. I love this, this this podcast I've been doing because I'm meeting all these amazing educators. And I feel like we have a very like common, you know, we shared goals and values. No matter where we're from, you know, we, we, we are here because we love teaching. We love seeing our students grow and become these future leaders. And so, and that, I think that project sounds like incredibly impactful in that way. It is, it definitely is. And yeah. I've participated in it only once, but I hope I will uh, participate it again in the future. But my friend is in charge, of, she's been in charge of it for, I think, 10 years. Mm -hmm. And it is a wonderful uh, project. And I think that some people from the USA come to this because as far as I know, uh, there are like three or four editions 
So sometimes uh, there are people from the USA, from yeah. Israel, um, from Spain, France, etc. So 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 they try to uh, change nationalities. I yeah. mean, and different schools are participate in it. So it's not only our school, uh, for, as far as Poland is concerned, but there are also different Polish schools from Warsaw and, and other regions. I think mock trials are really interesting way, especially when it's connected internationally with, with different students and different teachers. And it's a very empowering project. I, but also I think within the classroom, like I remember I've, I've put together a, a lab project, sorry, a project where they had to do a court case. And I right. think it's a really interesting way to, to like, you know, empower them to think critically, play these different roles, and, and it's very engaging for them. They really enjoy the the challenge of that and I think some other educators that I've met have done things like prosecuting Christopher Columbus wow. and, uh, <laughs> or the trial of Lenny from Of Mice and Men uh, and then you can do a lot of like really interesting things like you know if maybe you can't be connected with a, uh, a speech and debate or a mock trial but you can still implement some of these things in the classroom. But the problem is one yeah. of the biggest problems in Poland is that you've got so many things in your curriculum. Mm. Your curriculum is just packed. When you want to do something different, you have to sort of smuggle it. Yeah. And that's the problem, because you are supposed to do... Um, I don't know what uh, teaching English in the USA looks like, but in Poland it's like, you know, structures, so we talk about tenses, so this is present simple, present continuous, present perfect, future perfect, etc. Right? Yeah. So grammar, a lot of grammar. Uh, plus vocabulary, etc. So when you want to do something much more interesting, you have to smuggle it. Or uh, sometimes you have to pretend that you are doing this particular thing yeah. <laughs> and do something else, which I don't like. It shouldn't be like this. It should be like, you know, in curriculum, you've got... Uh, uh, there is this um, rule that you have to use a student's critical thinking, but mm -hmm. on the other hand, they pack the curriculum with so many things that it is unrealistic. Yes. And unless you think and plan ahead, it's impossible for you to do it. Yeah, no, it's... I, I think one of the best things I've seen as in my travels is really when you allow teachers to have the autonomy to to teach what they are passionate about, then it really allows for engagement and also these interesting ways of teaching and engaging students. So I think that's... I've, I've, I've had both in my experience where... I've had a curriculum that I had to follow, uh, and also the more the freedom to to choose my own uh, activities, my own novels, my own projects. And I think that was just so much more engaging for me and so much more engaging and interesting for my students. Exactly, because when your students uh, see your passion, yeah. they mm -hmm. also become passionate, although sometimes they pretend that they, yeah. they're not. <laughs> You're not cool, Mr. Peck. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, it's, uh, that's wonderful. Well, Ah, God, I love being able to talk with you. I think just as a, a, closure, a closure, I'm curious if you had the, uh, the power to run a school or run a district, what would be some of the key elements that you'd want to see uh, in those schools, in those classrooms? First of all, um, I would like uh, to employ passionate, pe passionate people. Mm. That's, yes. that's uh, yes. the first thing. Secondly, I would like to be able to pay them enough mm -hmm. so that uh, they would be able to stay um, in my school and uh, they wouldn't have to beg for money. Yeah. So that's the thing. 
Thirdly, if I had enough power, I would reduce uh, curriculum. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would uh, change some things in curriculum, especially uh, for those uh, those teachers who teach Polish history, etc. Because um, I have to mention it, but this uh, reintroduction of the reform. Um, I would say did a lot of, ha, has done a lot of harm because the reformers didn't take into consideration the fact that we have already gone through a digital revolution, oh, and man. they seem to be to be thinking in the 19th century way. I would call it like this. Yes. So uh, I think that's the key mistake. So of course, uh, technology is important. But um, technology in itself is not enough. You have to fill it with content. Mm -hmm. And when it is um, sort of mingled into your classroom mm -hmm. and it is um, filled with appropriate content, that's fine. You have to, uh, I would put a lot of uh, stress on uh, critical thinking yes. uh, to make people aware uh, of fake news. Uh, to make them um, aware of the fact that lots of uh, companies, lots of governments are trying to manipulate them. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what else I would have done. I think uh, there are lots of things. Uh, uh, um, in ordinary schools, there are barely any facilities. In our school, which is quite rich, so we've got projectors, uh, interactive whiteboards, so I would equip every single school with that. Um, I would, um, I don't know, maybe I would change uh, the day, maybe I would um, let the students, because lots of teenagers complain that they start too early mm -hmm. and that their uh, brains haven't woken up. So maybe we could start classes at nine. There's a lot of good research on that too. But the problem is that if, if we started at nine, we would have to finish at five, maybe six. Maybe we would have to have a longer lunch break. So I think uh, I would discuss uh, with the students uh, this, uh, this thing yeah. and with their parents. I would give more autonomy to students uh, as well because uh, the person, uh, the the friend uh, who who has been who has been in charge of these projects we have just talked about, yes. uh, has also been in charge of the student's body, and she says that once you give students a chance to do something they are really passionate about, they will do it, yeah. and they will come up with ideas that you would never think about. So, um, so I would give more autonomy to students' body. Maybe if it was possible, but let's say I could do anything. Yeah, of course, power. Uh, maybe we could just uh, involve the teachers in work. Um, so we could let we'll let the teachers work on curriculum, oh, or okay. to give them some space. I don't know, let's say curriculum would be till, uh, the compulsory curriculum would be till uh, April, and then, because our school year finishes in June, so maybe two months or maybe one month for, I don't know, some sort of creative activities or 
activities uh, we have never thought about, or maybe, I don't know, visiting uh, companies to um, broaden students' minds, or I don't know, there are, I'm pretty sure there are lots of ideas that could be put into this curriculum and it wouldn't be like blank space. Mm -hmm. So, so I think there would be different needs, and uh, we could, I don't know, uh, work together. I would put more um, emphasis on group work, teamwork, mm -hmm. because Polish people have problem with that. Okay. That we are more individuals mm -hmm. working on their own, and it is very difficult for us for us to cooperate. And lots of companies coming from different countries complain about. Polish people not being able to cooperate, so I think a lot of uh, a lot of emphasis should be put on that. Yeah. So and I would put a lot of um, uh, stress on teaching skills and learning uh, uh, skills. Maybe we could think about reverted classroom when when students teach the others. Yes. They could they could just uh, you know put themselves into our shoes. Mm -hmm. Maybe they could see how some, how difficult it can be sometimes to explain something clearly. It's also the best way to learn something as well. Exactly. So so there are lo lots of different ideas. Yeah. So so you know. Um, yeah. Well, I really appreciate. I think like you said it early on too, the concept of always learning, and I really see this with you. Right. You have there's like this passion to make sure that you are doing that, and also inspiring your students to continue that. So I'm, I'm excited. Let's talk about uh, being able to go to your class stuff tomorrow. But uh, we'll say goodbye to the podcast. Thank you <laughs> so thank much. Thank you. Thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for making it all the way through this episode. I hope it was as fun for you to listen to as it was for me to learn from this exceptional teacher. I loved her passion for education, from the changes in Poland, to her work for Model UN, to the variety of strategies to encourage critical thinking in her students. Sadly, I was not able to make it into her class, but I really appreciate the openness to share and spread her knowledge. We can all take a page out of her book and never stop learning. As a special treat, we have 10 minutes of extra credit with another teacher named Ula. She'll share her experience working in refugee camps and her general beliefs around education. Enjoy, until I see you next, class dismissed. In a refugee camp, they obviously were highly motivated not only to be able to talk to um, people in Greece, but to talk between themselves, because in a refugee camp, everybody is from a different country, yes. so they don't have a common language, actually. So it was the best experience, and not only uh, in terms of the students, but in terms of how uh, the teaching system is run. So it's uh, usually NGOs. Mm -hmm. But I've noticed that once, um, it was obviously volunteering work, so the teachers weren't paid. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed that because of that, they're more focused on uh, the solutions that are best for students and not on their own achievements. Mm -hmm. So I guess 
this was like the perfect environment because everybody wanted to figure out what to do um, to be able to help them and not what to do to be become more successful as a teacher, which sometimes happens in private schools, I would say. Interesting. I'd love to hear more about that because I think it's a really incredible that you're able to do that. And so can you, and also I'm curious about like, if I'm, you know, if I wanted to run my own school, like how do I create that environment that really exactly. creates that kind of uh, collaboration and motivation what's to work what's best for the students, not for, you know, your own personal gain, as you mentioned. So can you just maybe describe more about like what the, it was like, in the refugee camp in, in sure. the schools? Yeah. I think the, the key issue here also was that if people aren't paid, mm-hmm. that they have the same goal. So they just want to help. So you will not have, like in private schools, you, you would have teachers with different motivation as well. Yeah. And um, also sometimes the schools create this system where like, Teachers will, some teachers will be promoted based on um, their achievement, mm-hmm. which I think this is um, problematic because when all the teachers have the same goal, which is only to help students, mm-hmm. then the collaboration is just fantastic and there is no competition between them. They Even when we observe each other's lessons, it's not to find fault in the lesson, it's to figure out how can we do it better. And there was obviously a lot of problems because you had, sometimes in class, you had people who didn't know the alphabet and people who knew French already. And it was, it's just such a big gap. Yeah. What to do in order to make them learn at the same pace, almost impossible. What were some of the things that you did that you figured that was like the best practices to well, support Well, we them? tried to create more groups, but it wasn't always possible with like the manpower we, <laughs> we had. Yeah. Um, but the best thing was always to make them collaborate and make them become the teachers. Mm-hmm. To really empower them. Exactly. And empowerment is also a key thing in a refugee yeah. camp because it's they really need to feel like they can make a difference and mm-hmm. like they're someone needs them. Yeah. Huh. I'm so happy that you would do that. <laughs> if like if you wanted to be if someone wanted to be uh involved in, you know, education educating in a refugee camp, what would you recommend they, they do a research? Yeah, uh, there is like loads of NGOs that mm-hmm. work with teachers, but uh, I worked for a grassroots organization and I think it was an amazing experience because with, obviously I'm, I'm not judging anyone, but with big NGOs, sometimes they it's hard for them to figure out uh, what's best for the community because they work in, they're based in so many places that it's just hard to control everything. And the grassroots organizations are usually run by people who were there before, who already know the community. Mm, so important. So I would just go with grassroots organizations and help them because they always need help. Right. And the, ideally, uh, everybody would love uh, for them to just leave because then it, um, then it means that 
we don't have the the problem, the problem yeah. anymore. But I don't think it's going to happen. Right. Well, well, thank you for sharing that. I think that's I could talk about that for a while because it's so fascinating. But I'm curious. It's what. And so, what are you doing now in in Poland? How how is the, your uh, you can go from there. I'm still teaching, but yeah. now I uh, I teach privately because mm-hmm. um, since I live on a farm, we I don't have much time to like get a full time job. So we do different things, but I never want to stop teaching, and I want to have be in touch with the community and people that I l- live with. So I think being a teacher is the best you can give them. <laughs> Absolutely. What are some, like, going back to like, our first uh, conversation around, uh, you know, like, consumerism and the kind of the supporting yourself mm-hmm. through the farming and all that, I'm curious how you, or if you do, implement any of those sort of ideals in, into your teaching. Uh, well, this is just about spreading awareness. Mm-hmm. So, like, if I see that kids that I teach are really into those consumption ideal ideas I just um, try to challenge that but not aggressively obviously we read the text about it and then we think if it's a good idea we try to discuss yeah what are some things that you do in your private teaching what is the like your focus or some of the you feel like the best ways in which to help support your students the best way is to figure out what do they need like Mm -hmm. Why, why do they why are they actually learning English and then focus on what uh, which area of language do they actually need because we, we all know that like it's not easy to learn a new language yeah. and they will not need everything mm-hmm. so you always have to focus on piece of information that they will definitely need in their life why I think this is a definitely important question for the United States, which I think really lacks in their uh, second language abilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, why would what would be your argument for learning more languages? Why why is that your focus in your teaching? Because it opens opens the door for the world. Like to be able to understand another human being is to be able to understand the world better. I have just one final question. I love that's gonna be like the tagline there. Okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, I always like to end with uh, having, you know, the educator I'm with think about if you had just control over, you know, a school or an education system, what would be the the key changes that you would want to implement and see happen? Mm-hmm. I would definitely um, take the class outside of the classroom. Mm. So, uh, for example, if you learn the language for directions, you should go out of the classroom and ask for directions on the street. And you should be able to talk to other people. And maybe that that would be a key thing that you could implement in language learning, because mm-hmm. now it's so easy to access... Um, everything online Mm -hmm. so you could even find groups online that they can talk to with native speakers or just other language speakers and i think they need just need to realize how important it is and how easy it actually is to communicate with another human being 
Is, do you feel like that's a particular problem in, in Poland or is it in general in our world right now that we are feel disconnected with other people? I think it might be general because yeah. of us uh, being only stuck <laughs> in the virtual, mm-hmm. not in the reality. But also I think for Polish people communicating might be quite a big challenge because we're a bit shy and maybe have some some issues um maybe self-esteem problems so there are always nationalities that are more open and i wouldn't say that polish people um are one of these nationalities well you know it, it, as you mentioned too i think like how we connect to people and, and really engaging with going outside and talking with more people is I think would definitely a way to help support that. Exactly, but I feel that like young generations uh, are more and more confident, which is uh, positive. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking with me. It was an absolute pleasure, and uh, let's go watch some movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>